Corinthians chapter 13. Well, let me just say this. Uh, normally, I preach two services on Sunday morning, and uh, Wesley played my favorite set of worship music. I was just singing out. I don't know if I have any voice to do even one sermon now. <laughs> but uh, normally, I try to pace myself. But boy, I really enjoyed that. It's good to be uh, able to come into the house of the Lord, especially when you're being cooped up, especially when uh, you look around you and you see so many different things going on around you, especially the weather. And we can come to a place like this and still celebrate our God. And uh, what a wonderful time I hope we can have here today. Now, here's something interesting. Uh, we are from the coast. And uh, some of you have been asking how our family uh, is. I know many of you possibly have family from Wilmington. Uh, everybody's well. I called my mom this morning. She said, yeah, I'm sitting in the car charging my phone. and <laughs> No power, of course. Uh, but everybody seems to be doing well there. Of course, we do want to remember those who have lost loved ones and those who are still in the path. But I did find something very interesting. If you know anything about the Wilmington area, uh, Florence made landfall. This is kind of ironic. At landfall. There's a community there called Landfall, and that's where she made Landfall. And then, lo and behold, I said, wouldn't it be crazy if she visited Florence? And lo and behold, she headed south, and she went over Florence. You know, it's Florence, South Carolina. Some of you are looking like I'm an idiot. I just think this kind of, that's the way my mind works. I think it's pretty cool, to be honest with you. But anyway, I do want to ask you uh, to pray for Quint, of course, uh, going there. Uh, these are not um, typical mission trips we would carry a group on because of the danger, because of the possibility. Especially, uh, it, it, it seems to be a little safer when one individual is going about than a group going about. So please pray uh, for that situation there uh, concerning Quint. Uh, also, it's so good to have everybody together. Some of you are not sitting in your normal seats because somebody got your seat. Uh, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, but it seems weird to see some of y'all with the other people from the other service. Uh, and so it's really cool. And then, of course, our children are in here with us. And we do thank you for being a part of this this morning. All right. In chapter 12, Paul talks about our relationship to God, our relationship to the church, and our relationship to each other. Today, as you make your way into chapter 13, you're going to find out he specifically talks about our relationship to our government, to our government. Now, the question this morning is this. This is what I want to pose before you. Here it is. What should be the Christian's biblical response to government? Now, how many of you would agree that that's a difficult question in this day and age? How many of you would agree that no matter what I say today, it will be controversial <laughs> because of the climate in which we live? And so this morning, I don't care where you align yourself politically. I don't care who you, who's your guy, who's not your guy or whatever. I will probably offend you and be very controversial before this time is over, okay? And we wouldn't want it any other way. You made an extra effort to be here this morning, right? But that's where I'm headed with this. And again, what I'm attempting to do is not just to be controversial for controversial sake. I think sometimes we get in our own little world and we begin to imagine everything that we tend to see, everything that we put around us, and sometimes we can't see past that. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of open something up this morning. It took me all weekend to be prepared to preach this because I had to open myself up. But I want us to look at God's word closely and I want us to draw out what should be our response to government. So look at the introduction. 
Paul in this text says that the way we relate to our government is an indication of our commitment to Christ. Now, how many of you are like, that doesn't even sound right? What does that have to do with anything? But it does. So, the, the, so how do we answer this? How, how, how do we, if Paul said that, and it appears he said that, where, where, how do we know he said that? Well, look on your outline. The nature of government. Government is part of God's plan. Now, many of you, I've lost you right there. It's like, no, yeah, it is. It is. I want you to think about it. Government is divinely appointed by God. In Scripture, God has instituted three different institutions, the family, the church, and the government. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, it says this, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Every soul. Every one of us. It does not specify a certain government. It doesn't say those who are in a democracy. It doesn't say those who are in a republic or authoritarian government. It says what? Every so, and it doesn't specify what type of government. And so, now look here. Look at the next part. For there is really, if you think about it, no authority except from God. How many of you agree with that? Really, that's the case. But you keep going, and it says, and the authorities that do exist are there because God allows it to be there, or they are appointed by God. Now, how many of you are sitting there thinking, you have just blown my mind? Because we know the type of governments that are out there. We know the ones that have existed over the years, don't we? And we look back and we say, now, wait a second. Surely this means some government. Surely he's not talking about every government that's ever existed. It is. It is. So, verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, <laughs> resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. How many of you would say... Are you sure this is in the Bible? Look at there. It's right there, isn't it? I don't know about you, but when I first started understanding my role as a Christian and I began to search in God's word and say, okay, God, what do you expect from me? And, and Lord, I want to live for you. And then you come across verses like this and you're like, oh, wow. Didn't know that was in there. Let me give you the context of what was going on when this was written. The context of all this was written in the first century. In the first century, the Roman Empire had an ex expansive uh, uh, empire. And what was amazing about it is it was an authoritarian government. And so you had emperors who ruled alongside of a senate, okay? And so what you had there was, was basically a, a one-rule-type government. And, and so there was not any democracy. There, were, there weren't those votes that were going forward where there was influence uh, catered by the people themselves. No, uh-uh, emperors. And so what you need to understand is that same government did not look at the Christian community favorably. How many of you know that part about history? And not only that, many of the Christians who become outspoken, many of those who really stand for Christ, guess what's going to happen to them? They're going to be executed, including the very person who penned these words. And so you look at this and you read what Paul says and every subject being an authority and all of a sudden, before we know it, within probably 10 years after he wrote this, that same government is executing him. 
Does that not blow your mind? It does mine. And so you've got all these things. So, so when you look at our lives, look, how do we live in the government that God has ordained to be over us? Living in a democratic society, listen to this, gives us the opportunity to vote on what type of government persuasion we wish. It also allows us the opportunity to vote, this is interesting, on what type of judgment we wish. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever gone to the ballot box thinking that, boy, there's a, there's a whole lot of responsibility in this vote? There's a lot going on with this, and th th my vote, uh, along with many others, uh, could decide a bunch of stuff here. Have you ever gone there with a burdened heart to the, to the ballot box? Have you ever gone there and thought to yourself, well, who do I vote for? Isn't it amazing that decades ago, and maybe I'm being naive when I say this, maybe, 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 maybe my view is tarnished, maybe I didn't have the right maturity back then, but it seemed like back then there was a right and wrong that's just hung in the balance when you went to the ballot box. Now you don't know what's right, what's right. You know what I'm saying? And it gets even more confusing when you begin to hear what everybody else thinks about that government. And you start looking at something 24-7. And you get in the car and you listen to it then. You listen to it there. And you got all these opinions about all these different things. How many of you have honestly thought to yourself, I wonder what God would want. How does he want me to respond to my government? I know many Christians that will say, you know something, there's not a candidate out there. There's not a person out there that I can vote for, that I can literally say I am giving a vote to because there's just none that are good. No, not one. <laughs> and, and, you, and you know what I'm talking about? But let me, let me tell you that the very people that God has ordained to be over us are fallen individuals operating in a fallen system operating in a fallen world. There's nothing that's going to be perfect about that vote. And we'll talk more about that later. It's kind of interesting that many times God gives us what we wish. How many of you ever noticed that? Romans chapter 1, uh, there's an idea of that there when it says God gave them over. It says three times they wanted something so bad, so God gave them over to those things. He lit it literally means he gave them what they wanted, what they wished only for it to be something very terrible. Nation of Israel is out there and they're starting looking around and they begin to look and see that all the kingdoms around them have kings. And, and they're like, well, where's our king? We want a king. Was that God's wishes initially? It wasn't really because God wanted to be their God. He wanted a theocracy. He wanted to be their God. And they said, no, we demand a king. So what did God do? He gave them what, he, what they wished. How many of you ever heard that Leadership is really a reflection of the people under them. That tells you a lot, doesn't it? Tells you a lot. Good and bad, doesn't it? And, and you see all these things are going around in our minds and we try to understand our Christian perspective, our, our, the fact that God's called us to something. Why should our response be to all this madness? The nature of government, this is one thing we need to take away from this point. The nature of government is a part of God's purpose. He helped establish it. Next, government leaders are God's servants. In Romans chapter 13, verse 3, it says, For the rulers 
For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Now, I don't know about you, but that's one of those parts, uh, sentences that's kind of hard to get your mind around. I think the NIV says it clear. It says this, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Now, you know, you could read that verse and you could say, I just don't know that I totally agree with that. I look at what Paul, the very one who wrote this, he was all about doing good. He was spreading the word. He was, he was out there and, and, and they put him to death. What are you talking about? What Paul's trying to tell you here, he's trying to tell you if you're going to keep as much peace as, as it relates to your government, then, then, then you live under it as much as you can, basically. And as a result, maybe something good can come of it. Maybe there's a peace that will come as a result of you doing what the government's expecting as far as you can. There's, there's a caveat there. But for the purposes of what? For the purposes that you can carry out the Great Commission. You see, Paul was looking at the big picture. Most of the time when we, when we look at the government and we start voting, you know what we start voting for? Pocketbooks, don't we? Who's going to give me the most money at the end of all this? Who's going to do that? Who's going to do that? Have you ever thought that the vote that you cast may sometimes be that, that, that something may be out there that's bigger than what we are actually voting on at that moment? That we can be discerning enough, that we can have wisdom enough to see the bigger picture of what may be going on in this process. You see, I believe there's a bigger picture going on in our government today. This dates back 35, 40 years. There's something going on right now. Right now, there's something that's coming to a head that many people have been praying about for many decades. And there's something that's in motion right now. You say, well, tell me why I didn't know. You pray about it. You, you look at the picture. You look at the big picture. And quit looking at the small picture. Look at the big picture. Hey, here's something else. He says in verse 3, do, do you want to be afraid of the authority? Do, do what is good and you will, pray, you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. Again, Paul is writing something about someone who's going to have him executed. I don't get that. So you know what it allows me to say and come away with? That there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture that I'm not quite seeing. When Paul writes this, and then you look at what happens to him. Did Paul, we, we're, we're, this is definitely not recorded anywhere. We can't find this anywhere. Did Paul, as he was being taken to the execution chamber or whatever that may have been or whatever that looked like in the first century, did he cry out, hey, that thing in Romans 13, forget it. No. Nah. It still remains and remains today a part of God's word. Next, and this may be what the big picture is all about. Government is only temporary. It's only temporary. You know what that tells me? Keep focused on the big picture. It's only temporary. It's only here for a season. It's only here for a while. Look at what it says. I mean, look here on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, then comes the end when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. He puts an end to it. What does this imply? For me, this verse implies that there is definitely nothing that has been perfected in government ever. And never will be. 
It implies that there's going to come a day when it will all be made right. In the image of God. In the image of eternity. That right now, there's nothing perfect about it. Right now, there's nothing because it's, it's, it's ruled by fallen men in a fallen world. And that's what we find here. So no matter what form of government we are under, it's temporary. Therefore, we should not fret no matter what election days bring. God is and will always still be in control. And we need to focus on that. So let's go to something else. The purpose of government. What is the purpose of government? What do we find in the pages of God's word that says that the government's here for? Well, number one, to protect human life. The purpose of government is to help per, uh, protect human life. The Bible says in Exodus 20, 13, it says, you shall not murder. You don't take one's life. You just don't do that. And the government's there to, to, to protect life. I happen to believe we swayed from that 40-some years ago when we didn't protect life in the womb. I, I, I believe the life in the womb is just as viable as life outside the womb. And you know where I get that from? I don't get that from science. Even though science, I think, is coming closer to where the Bible is these days. I get it from God's Word that in the womb... God had plans. God created. God carefully made in the womb. I realize that there's been a lot of women down through the ages, down through the decades, who've been deceived, who thinking that, who thought that was their only way out, and have gone through that. And 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 I understand that that's difficult. And I'm not trying to be insensitive here, but I think we need to look at it from the big picture. That God has ordained government to protect. Life, life in the womb and life outside the womb. Here's another one. Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds man's blood by his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. Do you know this is a reference to this? I hate to say it, but and this is controversial, but it's a reference to capital punishment. It is a reference to capital punishment. The Bible talks about when, when do you bring about capital punishment, when a life is there, when, when there's two witnesses, when it's not just hearsay, when you can confirm something and say, this person took a life, then this is what's expected. You say, why would God say that? Doesn't God love? Yeah, God loves everybody. And guess what? We as individuals should never take the law in our own hands. We've never been told to do that. But the government has been ordained to do that for our protection. It is a deterrent. I told you this is going to get controversial. Here we go. The purpose of government to protect human life. Number two, to protect that, to make laws that protect personal and property rights. What's the Ten Commandments say? Well, here's, here's some of it. You shall not steal. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that's in your neighbor's. The Nissan. The Mercedes. The Ford 150. You know, they didn't have that back then, right? The only thing they could put there was ox and donkey. <laughs> How many of you are glad for where we live today? And no, I'm just kidding. But anyway, one of the purposes of government is to make sure 
those commandments are fulfilled, that personal and property rights are taken care of. Did you know that the Ten Commandments legitimizes the rights of property, of, of private property? It's very interesting when you think about that. Why would God be so intent on le legitimizing something like that? Here's why I believe. Because a big part of our property and what he's blessed us with is ways we can worship him by giving back. By giving back, by using in his name. And so it gives us the opportunity to have dominion over certain things that we can give back as worship to him. Here's another one. Purpose of government to handle disputes between people. Moses said, how can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? <laughs> He's basically saying, I'm sick and tired of dealing with everybody's problems. <laughs> that is a lot on one man. Would you agree? And then he says, you shall not covet. No, I'm sorry. Then he says, choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I'll make them heads over you. You know what God was literally doing back then? Because creating a judicial system. And so we see all these clues in Scripture as to the possibilities of what government can do. Next, the purpose of government is to punish lawbreakers. Look at verse, thir uh, verse 4 of chapter 13. For he, the government, is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, you should be afraid. For he who does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. There must be a deterrent. Government is in charge of bringing a, deter de uh, a deterrent to evil. Government gives, God gives government the right, the responsibility, and the authority to punish evildoers. But you won't find it given to an individual. You remember the Sermon on the Mount? The individual, it's not, it's not believe me, that sermon is not a list of rights for us. It's about how we serve God and how we worship God and how we do take care of one another, but we are to never avenge ourselves. That's left up to the government. Let's keep moving. The response and responsibility to government. The prerequisites. Here we go. This may be the part that right now you've been, up to this point, you've been confused, but maybe this will answer it. Christians are citizens of what? Two worlds. Two worlds. The Bible says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus. So the moment I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus, guess what? I became a citizen not only of the United States of America, but I became a citizen of heaven. That's pretty cool, isn't it? We have a dual citizenship. You ever gone through the passport area when you come back from another country? Can I see your passport? By the way, I, I'm a citizen of heaven. I don't have that with me at this time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't try that. Do not try that. Those guys, they don't joke when you get to that point in the airport, Okay. All right, I tried to joke around. It doesn't pay, trust me. Second requirement or prerequisite as a Christian's, there, here it is, a Christian's primary obedience is to God. Primary obedience. If the two come in conflict with one another, my obedience to God is where I need to stand. And that's hard sometimes. That's very, very difficult. Regardless of my nationality or my government, whether good or bad, only God deserves, listen, my unquestioned obedience. Only God is given that. 
Here you go. To, to respond, the response and responsibility of government. To obey if possible. To obey if possible. In Romans chapter 13, verse 5, Therefore, you must be subject under the submission of government, not only because of wrath, not only because of what they may do to you, but also for conscience sake. Now again, to obey if possible. Now, why? Why would you do that? Why would you put yourself in submission to government? Because God created government, because God wants us to maintain a clear conscience, and because it's a good testimony. One of my favorite characters in the Old Testament is Daniel. Do you remember Daniel? What we think we believe about Daniel is that he was second in command of some of the most pagan empires who ever existed. And yet what? He was a great testimony of influence for his God. He was right there. And he attempted to use what God had given him, his wisdom, his intellect, his discernment in ways to serve the emperor or the king. And what he would do is he would try to keep a good testimony. He was, as Jesus said, an influence of salt and light for the people. And he, he lined up and God used it in a crazy way. Can you imagine the dilemmas Daniel, Daniel dealt with at night when he would go back to his chamber and he would sit there and, he, and it was, Lord, is this against you or is this something I can get behind? And how he must have wrestled with all those issues. But there came that one time where one of them said, Daniel, I'm going to cut this prayer thing out. Can't do, can't do that. He said, well, that, you've gone too far. My unquestioned obedience and submission is to God himself. You've crossed the line. I can't go. I can't do that. And that's where we get the lines in, you know, the story. So there are times in which we can have great influence, even in the face of pagan kings, presidents, whatever you want to call it. And God can still use that in a way to influence things for good. And that's what we're finding here. Next or let me stop this. Let me start right here. How many of you see individuals at times take a stand in their job because they feel like it crosses the line of what God expects of them? I, I remember years ago there was a, or well, many of you remember it, the whole idea of, of the abortion and uh, where government, do they have the ability to basically say, no, because this service is provided, you as a doctor, you, you, you have to participate in this. And I remember, you know, some of the profession just leaving the profession. That crossed the line. I, I remember, um, you remember the, the and, and again, I, I'm not, please understand how I'm saying this. You remember the, the, the person who's given the marriage license who said it was beyond her conviction to give that to a gay couple? That was her as an individual saying this crosses the line of my conviction towards my God. And, and whether you respect that or not or however you feel about that, that's a picture that we all need to take. What are those things in which it crosses the line? And then when it crosses the line, what are we called to do? 
Are we called to go down and protest? Are we called to speak out and, and do all these things? Listen, I know the prophets of old. And you look at the context of the prophets of old. And you watch them and how they operated. Yeah, they were calling out the government. But guess what? They were calling out the government of God's people. Of God's people. These are people who are not supposed to be pagans. And they were coming against God's people and saying, Listen, quit acting like the pagans and be God's people the way he called you to be. So here's what I want you to understand. And this is a part that's very controversial. When Jesus showed up, and we have the three years of his life that's recorded, was social injustice going on during those three years? Oh, yeah, it was everywhere. Probably there more than it is today, at least here in the States. Did Jesus, this is, this is I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about difficult stuff this morning. Did, Lee, did Jesus raise up the protesters to go against? Anyone? Injustice was everywhere. He didn't speak about social injustice. You know what Jesus did? He kept the main thing the main thing. And by the way, guess what? He was the main thing. And his mission was the main thing. Listen, I'm just here to tell you, I think there are times where if God gives us a platform that we need to speak out against social injustice, but, to, but how you do it matters. It matters. What good does screaming across from one another do? It's the idea of going in, and the Bible, we're getting ready to get to it. The Bible says, what does our influence look like? It looks like light. It looks like salt. And some of you may be sitting here and saying, boy, when a wound's there, salt hurts. It gets your attention. <laughs> and some people say, well, there's your protest. <laughs> well, maybe that's the way you look at it. But I'm here to say that when a church, I'm talking about us as a body, when a church so focuses its attention around government matters, then we probably are standing the risk of losing what is the lead story. The lead story is Jesus and that he provides salvation for all. Should we rise up against innocent life being killed? In the, in, the for, in the platforms God gives us, make, yes. But when we start making that the main thing, that's not the main thing. We are called to pray for leaders. We are called to get on our knees and lift up that, that something could change, that God could do a great work there. And that's how he instructs us. And guess what? That's, that gives you a clue what I think has been going on for the last 35, 50, 40 years. People are praying like they've never prayed for, the, for innocent life. It can still happen. Next, we're called to pray for leaders. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in the authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Why is it important to lead a quiet and peaceable life? The reason for it is because the greatest calling on our life is to make Christ known. And we don't need the, the distractions of being in war. We don't need the distractions of, un, of, of a place that's not peaceful. In the bounds of peace, we can get that word out. That can take center stage. We don't have to be conflicted with everything else that the world throws at us. 
Here's another response and responsibility to government. Some of you, I told you this is going to be questionable. <laughs> to pay taxes. Some of you are like, I don't like where my tax dollars are going. Supporting things I don't support. I'm with you, buddy. But guess what Jesus said? Render to Caesars, or Kaiser, however you pronounce it. <laughs> Render to Caesars that which is Caesars, and to God that which is of God. So what does he say in Romans 13, 6? For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom he, fear, honor to whom honor. So does God give you a way out through his word? Nope, sorry. Quickly, the response and the responsibility to government next is to influence for good. We are to influence for good. And guess what? Living in a democracy, we have that potential. We have that potential. Now, some of you, I know how some of you think. I've had conversations with you. Here's what you think. I know how you think. It's rigged. There's no point. <laughs> it's all rigged. <laughs> I can't testify whether it is or not. I'm just going to be honest with you. But I will tell you this. We have the opportunity, listen, to be salt and light. And you know how our government gives it to us? Through a vote. Through a vote. We have the opportunity to vote about things. You say, well, what does one do? What, what does one vote? I don't get what one vote does. What? Did you know that in the last several elections, more evangelicals did not vote than voted? And you know what some of your rationale is? And I get this. None of them represent what I'm all about. I've, I've given up on it. I'm, I'm tired of the mess. All of them are crooks. Have you not said that? Have you not said it? I'm not going to take some of my day to go out there. It's important to vote, y'all. It's important to be discerning. It's important to be wise. It's important to get out and be the influence that our government allows us to have. And yes... You will never, listen to this statement. And this goes all the way back to George Washington. You have never casted a perfect vote. Write it down. Some of you are like, well, when Ronald Reagan was in office. <laughs> you have never casted a perfect vote. If you live in a world that's fallen and you're voting for men and women that are fallen, it's a fallen vote. You just have to be wise. You've got to be discerning as to what will create the best influence in that vote. Here's the application. I've got to hurry because there's something big coming at the end. No, there's no politicians here today. But anyway. Application, the whole counsel of God's word implies that a genuine Christian will be a model citizen, a citizen of submission when possible of prayer and of influence. And that influence, I believe, is by voting. By voting. I want to close with this. this. The reason this is not on your outline, it may be the most important thing that I think God's given me to tell you. And the reason it's not on your outline is it came last night. Okay? So he's, he's, never mind. Anyway, I would say he woke me up with this, but I wasn't asleep yet. But anyway, he gave me this. 
I'm going to put this in print. Don't worry about writing it down. But I believe this is for us. I think it's clear. I've been praying all weekend. Lord, how can I make it? How can I put it on the bottom shelf? Here's the big takeaway. Real quick. Things to consider when responding to government. Number one, we have the privilege to participate in our government by voting and having a choice. Okay, I'm just wrapping this whole sermon up. Okay, you just heard that, but we do, right? Would you agree with that? Okay, number two, God does not call us to be (laughs) a Republican or a Democrat. I want to make eye tunnel. I want to see who's coming after me. <laughs> no, but anyway, <laughs> he encourages that. Both are man-made and are filled by fallen men and women. Their platforms are also man-made. Somebody wrote a platform. Platform is when a party declares what it's going to be about. It puts together a platform about what, how it stands on issues. Okay, let me just tell you this. Over the last 20 years, when I've been voting and made myself wise and educated, neither platform perfectly fit how I felt. You get me? And if you would say this morning, one platform and the other fits me to a T, I would challenge that and say, that you are probably not taking a biblical approach to what you're seeing. You're being told what to follow. I told you this was going to be a lot of fun this morning, didn't I? (laughs) Number three, those in leadership, including presidents, are fallen people. I'm surprised amens didn't come from everywhere on that one. Daniel worked closely with those who did not profess his God. And here's something important. God can use broken vessels. I'm talking about some messed up vessels. How do I know that? There's one standing here in front of you. He can. Maybe not like what I refer to. Never mind, I'll keep moving. (laughs) He can use broken vessels to accomplish his will to answer the prayers of his people. Number four, Jesus, when he walked the earth, did not become consumed with government affairs. Why? Because he was the main story. He was the most important thing going on in the first century. And let me remind you, he's still the most important thing going on in the 20th, 21st century. He was in the 20th century also. Just something to keep in mind. Number five, we are called to pray for change and influence by being salt and light. Therefore, we need to be informed with issues and we need to participate. Number six, this is what I just said. There has never been a perfect vote. You have never casted a perfect vote. We are not voting for perfect people. We are not voting for perfect parties. We are not voting for perfect platforms. Number seven. We are to vote for what we think is God's platform, realizing that because we are in a fallen world, it will not translate perfectly. Do you get me? So sometimes it's a matter, and I don't know how you do this. To me, it becomes individual conviction. You almost have to rank what you think is closest to God's heart almost. 
What's the driving force here? Which one's going to get me get the vote to where I think God would want the vote? And y'all, that is difficult in this day and age. It's difficult. I think years ago it was a little more defined. It's not that way anymore. Right now, you know what we have to look at? We have to look at right to life. We got to look at, look at justice. We got to look at how, the, how we're handling the immigrants. I mean, you got to look at, and it's, it's cloudy. It's fuzzy in there. We got to look at corruption. And that's where most of you check out, and I get it. It's all corrupt. Uh, that's, your, that's your conclusion. I, I get that. But can God give you the wisdom if you, vote, if you prayed and said, God, God, give me wisdom in this vote. Not a perfect vote. I know the Bible says you're always working. How many of you agree with that? He's always working. He's the one that put those in place that are in place. How many of you agree with that? Some of you could say this. You're, you, you Calvinists, you could say, well, it's already been determined. What's the kids vote going to do? You've been called to have influence. You've been called. Here's what I do. This is my approach. I try to look at the big picture. I try to get my mind out of what the news stations are focusing on and what they think is important and all those things. I try to get a bigger picture. I try to get away from that because I'm not so sure what's really going on with, with news 24-7. Now, I'm going to show you something. And you're going to say this. Our preacher has become a conspiracy. I'm not. I'm not. I have good friends of mine and my wife. <laughs> Tell you what's really going on. This is what's really happening here. You know, I'm not one of those guys. I'm, I'm, please understand. I don't fall for anything. But I'm, I want to show you something because I think it clearly shows. Go ahead and play that clip real quick. How many of you saw this this week? <laughs> Some of you already know what I'm talking about. Check this guy right behind him there. Do y'all get this? The guy over here is rocking back and forth like the wind. Let me just say this. I've stood in that kind of wind. You don't rock. The wind decides what it wants to do to you. It jerks you, okay? And then you got the people walking around behind him, okay? Now, there's some wind there, obviously, but not like that. So here's what I'm saying. Yeah, turn it off. I need your attention. I got to close this. Someone has termed it, but I've been wondering what all of it's really about. There's an idea out there called social engineering. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? I've thought it for many years, but I never heard it expressed. And that, that phrase says it all. There's something going on behind the scenes that we all need to be aware of because social media, 24-7 news cycles, if we're not careful, we're going to fall into it. And we as Christians are called to be wise as serpents. We are called to be discerning. We can't get sucked into this idea of social engineering. And here's what I mean by that. What that newscaster was trying to do is get you to see something that was possibly not there, that was kind of there. And then what revealed was what was going on was those people just walking calmly like they're out on a Sunday stroll. Now, let me just tell you this. You take something like that and you magnify and you put it into what news stations are doing and, what, and you say, there's a conspiracy. I don't normally lean this way, but something's going on. And I'm telling you as, as people of God to be above this idea of social engineering where people are almost 
moving you to think a certain way. Let me tell you another way it shows up. If you're on the internet a lot, how many of you have noticed that, that if you go and click on something and you think you may want to buy a watch, and all of a sudden you're flipping through some of the news things on the same computer you use there, how many of you are amazed at how many watch commercials come up after that? How many of you are sitting there like, how did they know I wanted a watch? They're socially engineering you, and that's on a small level. They can do it with the news. They can do it with political platforms. You do know I'm not the biggest idiot. I mean, I, I'm, this is happening, y'all. And you say, why would you? I'm telling you because you need to get out from under it. I'm telling you because I need to get out from under it. And you need to evaluate biblically what's really going on. Is it okay? Am I telling you, turn off the TV, turn off all? No, I'm not. You can learn some things from it, but be above it. Don't let them move you in the ways of the world. The Bible says, do not be conformed to the world. Being conformed to the world is social engineering. The university started it. Did you know that? The universities across America started the process. The news has picked up on how to do it. The Weather Channel's doing it now. <laughs> Some of you are like, man, I'm going to shut up. But I want to pray for you, okay? We're not going to have an invitation. Um, well, let's do it real quick. You mind? I mean, if you came out and you want to be saved, you need to be saved today. <laughs> if you came out and you believe God's done something in your life, you just want to pray. Listen, I... Some of you are still looking at me like, you're, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> There's a lot going on in our world right now. Wise as serpents. Discerning. Being knowledgeable. There's no perfect solution to anything because we live in a fallen world. That's where the discernment has to come. Would you stand to your feet, please? Father, we just come to you right now and <laughs> Lord, I have no idea what you're up to in this sermon, Lord, but I do know this is something you laid on my heart. And Father, I just pray for all of us to take a careful evaluation of where we are when it comes to our response to government. Father, I don't understand some of the implications of what Paul was saying as it related to the government of the first century. The same government that he was talking about being submissive to put him to death. I don't understand all that. The only thing I do know is there's got to be a bigger picture. And it seems like everywhere I touch your word, every time I try to understand more fully who you are, it's almost like you lead me to a bigger picture. And the bigger picture for all of us here this morning is to, to continue as individuals to continue to make Jesus the lead story. When it comes to our church, to continue to make Jesus the lead story. And Father, we know we live in a, in a nation that, that, that calls itself a Christian nation and Lord, I, I don't know that any nation can really be a Christian. Your word doesn't talk about things like that. But your word does say that many Christians can have great influence. And I pray for the Christian influence of, of what can be when we become salt and light. Father, I know that we live in days that seem so uncertain. We live in days that we don't understand. We live in days that's just hard to get our minds around. But Father, help us to be led by your word, 
to be led by your spirit to bring us to a point of conviction of knowing what to believe, to know how to cast a vote, whatever it is, Father. Help us to cast a vote with conviction, not out of ignorance, but one that we can say we've attempted to be salt and light to this nation. Father, Lord, I know through a message like this that there could be others that are dealing with other things here. Father, if there's someone here that needs to come to you today, we pray they'll come. If someone needs to join the church, if someone just needs to get around the altar or have someone to pray for because they feel like they're in the throes of what this, everything that's happening around us right now. Father, I just pray you'll just lead in God in this moment of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.